performing a routine sensor sweep of the Gargle Blaster Nebula, the crew of the Datanaut Starship noticed that many of the tasks are manual in nature and could, you know, with a little effort, be automated with some scripting. However, every time we moved on from one part of the nebula to another, a different error would crop up with the script's code. Ugh, this is super annoying. Isn't there some way that we could automatically test our code to make sure that more time is spent drinking a frothy ale instead of all this debugging? Howdy, I am Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter. And with me is my co-host, who often eats the silica gel packet that comes with a brand new router. He's Ethan Banks, at EC Banks on Twitter. And this is the Data Knots Podcast. You can find this and all of our shows on iTunes, in your favorite podcatcher, or at packetbutchers.net. Stop eating those gel packets, dude. It's They're not so good, though. I can't. Oh, the crunchy. <laughs> so today's guest, let me do a quick introduction. Let him talk more about himself. A well-known titan of industry in the PowerShell and Pester world. Adam Bertram, welcome to the show. Who are you? What do you do? Hello. Well, my name is Adam Bertram. I'm kind of a, a geek of all trades, I suppose. I've a Microsoft MVP, big, uh, big in the community, big in the PowerShell world. I have a lot of hustles, so I do uh, blogging, um, some online courses, lots of freelance writing, and generally, I just like to get out there and share my knowledge of what I do and uh, try to uh, support myself as best I can. <laughs> right on, right on. And maybe if you're like, oh, I kind of heard that name before for those listening, he's also author of the Pester book, which we'll talk about later in today's show. But I wanted to get started on testing because honestly, this is a journey that I've only more recently started going through, maybe within the last three or four years. And it's the idea of um, I have a pile of, of scripts and I want to test it. And I figured we'd bring you on to talk about that. So to kind of kick things off, testing in the world of operations like IT ops, that's typically a challenge. Like, So we think about traditional testing. We, we don't typically have a complete duplicate of any particular environment like that's where testing and production comes with the lady saying, like, worked in dev and it has the dumpster fire in the back there. You know, it's not my problem. So maybe you can give us a high-level overview just to kick things off of what a unit test is. Well, a, a unit test is something that software developers have been working with for decades and decades. But as you said, it's something in the ops world going back to just simple coding the ops people normally, well, we don't have anything to do with code. That's all developer speak. So unit testing is a, a pretty new concept for an operation professional. So in a nutshell, what it is, is it's simply just defining all of the how your code is supposed to run. So it's defining, it allows you to map out all of the different code paths with the different parameters that you would pass to a function or a command. And then it would just generally test to make sure that that code does what you expect it to. Now, we're probably going to get into this a little bit later of there's different kinds of tests, but the unit test is all about testing the code without any kind of environmental hmm. uh, infrastructure, anything of that involved. It's just code. That's the big thing that people people get. Like, as unit tests, is it, do I test that I change this registry key or added this file? No, that's not a un unit test is, did I set this variable correctly or did I run this command like I expected to? Okay, so like if... Kind of relating it back, if I'm an ops person, maybe I've written a, a little cutesy script that just basically says create a, a volume on a storage array. I might test that the actual logic within the script is working properly. Like as an example, if I tell it I want a 50 gig LUN, I test the code to make sure it's actually trying to pass along the number 50 into the code, but it's not going out and actually creating the storage and carbon. It's not touching my production environment, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. 
Well, so maybe it would help if we uh, – uh, that, that seems a little obtuse to me because, of course, when you think about testing a script as, a, as an operator, you're, you are thinking more about the results. Does it do what I want? But I also know from reading there are a whole bunch of different testing types. The unit test that you mentioned, we got integration tests and functional tests and regression tests and acceptance tests. Can you contrast the unit testing you just described and defined with some of these other tests that are out there? Yeah, I've actually did a presentation on this about infrastructure testing. And this is something that I've been working with forever, especially since I've been I've written the Pester book. So you can think of, of testing as kind of like a pyramid. So, you know, whenever you run a script as an ops person, you may think, well, I, I run the scripts and it goes out and does the thing. And why would I want to test the code? But to go from just a, a scripter to an actual considering yourself a developer, you need to be able to test all layers of that code or of that pyramid. So the bottom one is unit test, where you're just testing code execution. Did I pass this parameter correctly? Was this variable set like I expected it to? When I called this if statement, did the result of that actually go into the right block? That sort of thing. And then we can go, when you go up from there, you kind of go up that pyramid and go higher into the stack of, okay, now whenever I let this code go and actually let it do, let it change something in the environment, then you kind of get into the integration test and a functional testing to where the integration, you can think of an integration test as kind of, you integrate your code with the environment. And then that's, to give you an example of that, that's just, I, I always go back to the registry key or a file or something extreme as something like that. That's actually testing did it actually, well, let's go with the server. So let's say a web server, for example, you bring up IIS. That's, did I install the IIS feature? You run mm-hmm. Git Windows feature, run, you know, and check in the name, see what that was. If the thing that you actually did, actually did what it was supposed to do. And then next, you kind of have the next layer, which is acceptance test, which is actually testing the final result of what you're doing. So when you, inst- when you script out some kind of uh, service or some kind of task, you're, I mean, the end goal is not I install a web server. It's I'm providing a web page and I'm providing a web page to my clients and they can, to my customers, they can get some value out of that. So acceptance test goes kind of the next level of is port 80 uh, available? Is this web page serving up the content like a, like it's supposed to? There's those, so there's different layers in that kind of mm-hmm. testing hierarchy. So I just I'm just thinking about it to kind of phrase it back. The unit test is all about when I wrote my script, did I do a good job? Did I accidentally create a logical fallacy in which I want to change a registry key? I'm asking you to tell me what the value should be. But somewhere within my code, I never actually grabbed the value. It's lost somewhere. So that's that's a problem with my code all the way through integration, meaning I'm actually now at passing that information. I want this registry key created. Was that done? Or am I talking to the server to do that? You know, kind of the process of getting getting what you want over to the endpoint. And then acceptance is coming back afterwards and saying, well, did that actually happen? Did the value that I want get represented properly in that environment? And is everything hunky-dory based on the desired state that I'm kind of pushing with the code? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yep. Okay. But then I guess it actually sounds sexy to me. I like the idea of testing all these things because typically it's you write, like for the registry key example, you'd write something saying, oh, go to HK local machine, blah, 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 change this one thing to a binary zero, something like that. I don't know. And then you just you just assume it's good, or if there's no red text on there, it's it's not bad, I suppose. 
what about the argument that unit tests are just something a software developer needs? You know, like, why do I need to test my scripts? I'm basically just doing something simple, you know, like setting a key. And that's just automating one simple task. Like, what is the point of testing that? Um, I think if you're not going to test all of your scripts, the thing that I talk about in the Pester book and a lot of the articles that I've written on Pester and from my experience is you're not going to spend the time because obviously testing takes um, if you write a full test suite for something, it's going to take at least double or more time that we would normally be writing the code to do. You have to be strategic about when you're actually going to apply these tests. So, for example, if you're writing a script on your own that just kind of a, a thing, a quick thing to save your, you some time and it doesn't affect anybody else. Yeah, you probably can get by with just not writing any tests for that and just running the script, going into the registry key example, going into regedit and seeing you know, manually checking, oh, it did it this time. Okay, I'm good. But once you get to the point to where, you know, you're in a DevOps, you're in, you're, you're actually building this, um, these scripts are more important in the grand scheme of things for an organization or a business. And the scripts that you write affect production, then you, you need to write the test to confirm that. So it's all about the more, the more important and the more chances of you breaking the, the most important things, the importance of testing goes up <laughs> from there. They correspond to one another in a linear fashion. You know, like exactly. I, I just remember um, when I was thinking about this and actually read your book, I was thinking about a time where I was a little bit of a cowboy and I had not tested anything. And I actually start out starred a deletion command and basically did that company wide into system 32, which was a big <laughs> boo-boo. And I was thinking, you know, like, okay, th- you know, I've now deleted the system 32 folder on every computer. That's going to be a lot of reinstalls. So obviously that would be a great, like, that would have been a great time to like unit test and integration test and like maybe pick a smaller scope and that kind of jet. So that one made sense to me. I like that it doesn't necessarily have to be, you don't, you don't have to boil the ocean and test everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, those of us with some OCD, like I have to test every little thing. You just think I get into the, the mentality of I have to test every little thing because you can get crazy with Pester of testing everything under the sun. But it's just all about being pragmatic and thinking to yourself, how important is this? What systems can this potentially affect and make your decision from there? Adam, help me visualize this. How would I go about creating a, a unit test? I, I got to say, I've done my share of scripting, but I've never done any testing at this level. So some sort of like walk me through it, how I'd create a unit test like this would be really helpful. Well, in the if we're talking in the PowerShell world, in Pester, a Pester is just a PowerShell module itself. It's written in PowerShell. So it's uh, PowerShell testing PowerShell technically. And Pester is a DSL or domain-specific language to where – a unit test would simply be a single describe block. Inside of the describe block, you would have all these what they call it blocks. And all these have these are different tests. Like it's a single PowerShell script. It's just a PS1 file with typically your name of your, your script.tests.ps1. And you build all that in this specific Pester DSL format. And then inside of the Pester module, there is invoke Pester command, which you run invoke Pester, pass it the path to your your test script or just no path and it will look for everything in the test with a uh, ending of dot test dot ps1 and it will run through and execute all of those test scripts that you have which then all those test scripts have all the individual uh, unit tests you have defined and when i've run that script what, what what's a result i get back i mean how do i know that it went good or went badly 
Well, um, green is good and red is bad. So <laughs> okay. if you have a lot of green, that's <laughs> good. If you have a lot of red, that's bad. You know, so yeah, and and it provides kind of a summary at the end. Of, it'll it'll go down through every single one as it's hitting through. It'll either you know it'll give you the name of the test. If it's red, it's bad. If it's green, it's good. You know, minus or plus, and hit every one of those until it's done, and then you'll eventually have a you know a big screen console screen of the results of all that and what you're hoping for is they're all green but if they're all if there are a couple of them are red that you can go in and look at what actually code what piece of code that was actually testing and then go back and then review your script to make sure you know to make that change or update the test if it needs to be so what you're saying is that within the pester language you'd create a new powershell script file and you would say, like going back to the registry key example, you'd create a test saying, if I pass a value of you know binary zero for this particular key, test that the key exists, test that you know the key has been altered, make sure the value of the key is whatever, and those would be the tests. And then when you tell Pester run these tests, it's actually going through and and executing this you know your your script that you're trying to test against and and validating all those things. And each one comes back as like a a green thumbs up or a red middle finger, I guess, you know, when it gets done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you would you would technically it's just you break out your test typically in Pester by unit test, integration test, or acceptance test. You kind of have different scripts for each of those to represent the different oh, okay. uh, different layers. But yeah, you could you could just put it all in one. If it's something really simple, you could put it all in, in one script. But the more of the the bigger projects, and uh, if you really you know if it's a really important piece of code that you're writing or uh, how modules interact with each other and all this stuff. There's a lot of ways to do it. I still do it. Unit.test.ps1, integration.test.ps1, and acceptance.test.ps1, and then just put those individual tests in the script files. Okay, so how about this then? I I have hundreds, like several hundred scripts just hanging around in one of my you know shared folders or what like that. Uh, no tests for them, and I'm sure a lot of administrators out there are probably in a similar boat. They've got their pile of scripts no tests for them. What advice do you offer to move forward? Like, is it, you know, go write tests for the old code, refactor, start from scratch? Like, how do you, how do you start, I suppose, getting some unit tests for all the scripts that you've written? This is one of the reasons why it's, it's really hard to, to convince somebody of the benefits of testing if they've never done it, because it is hard up front. It is, it's going to take some sacrifice up front and you don't immediately see it um i like it i like to con- to uh compare tests to backups you know everybody oh god i don't want to do backups you know you don't get any immediate benefit from it but when your server blows up and you need it you thank god that you had it this is kind of like tests so whenever just like going back from your example with the start out start and system 32 i deleted probably 50 different sql servers at one time from our Hyper-V infrastructure. I don't because, feel so bad anymore. <laughs> yeah, be, be, just because I had a, a star there, I used the wildcard and that got expanded to everything. I didn't actually mean to do the star. If I would have had the test and ran that ahead of time, then it would have caught, oh, you did a star here. That's going to delete all these. And I would have had a test to know that it wouldn't actually do it. So that's one of the biggest things. The biggest hurdle is it's it's just like backups. They're critical, but it's hard to see the value right away. And another thing is with testing, I don't want to scare people away, but what you'll find is uh, when you start, you'll see that your your scripts aren't built for testing. Writing tests not only helps you with the obvious benefits of testing, catch, catching those problems, but it also forces you 
um, to write your code in a different way, a, a very modular way. It's, it, tell, it helps you think about your code structure a lot better so that way your code looks much better in the end because as is, your code is probably not going to be testable right out of the box. Chris, I got thinking about quality assurance and why software comes out with bugs and so on uh, in the in the context of this section. I mean, there's the test that you can do to make code that runs the way you mean. There, there's tons of them. There's lots of tooling, lots of structure there available to you. The catch, though, right? It's at the expense of time. So when you're in a hurry, do you want to set up unit testing? And Adam said it's it's really hard up front to do that. But then you look at the trade-off on the back end. If, you're, if your script blows something up, in the infrastructure, I mean, would it have been worth it taking the time to build your code in such a way that it can be tested and then actually uh, run those tests? I think the answer is going to be yes in a lot of cases, just uh, particularly if your script gets more more hairy and more involved in the kind of things that it does. So what uh, what grabbed your attention? Yeah, no, I, I think you made good points. And especially as a, as a longtime ops person, I think the idea of, of testing the actual code is interesting. And it tends to cause cause people's face to wrinkle and an eyebrow to go up like, huh? Uh, especially when we're talking about scripts, you know, because a lot of the scripts that we write tend to be, I need this thing done, go do it. And then it morphs from there. Like these things often snowball. And then later on, you have a 4,000 line wall of text that causes your eyes to bleed. And testing would have been great along the way. So I think... In a nutshell, if your version of testing is, oh, let's just run this and, you know, cross our fingers and hope things work correctly, that's pretty risky. And I think it's a good opportunity to create some tests and invest some time in this. And I think, you know, it'll pay off in spades. Well, Adam, let's say I have made the leap and I've written some tests and I'm going to unit test my scripts. So what are my next steps? Well, let's say that you have, let me break it down to examples. So let's say you have a script that it's a lot easier to write tests before on new stuff. So a good way to start is just by creating a standard script that you normally would exactly the way you are used to, and then just figure out how to write tests for that. And it's kind of hard because there's so many, you know, code is so different. People write code in so many different ways, but um, there are a few a few tips, a few pointers that I could provide to somebody new that hasn't ever written a test before. So when you write a pester test in, in for PowerShell, first of all, you're going to think, how do I test this script? Because when I run it, everything runs. You'll soon see that pester depends on functions and commands. So if you don't have, if you have a, a big script that has no functions in it, you don't have, a, you're not testing a module, you're going to have to break that out. So you're going to have to refactor a lot of your code up front to be able to test it well or that or you're going to have to put in a lot of different hacks and it's going to be really really bad you know it's garbage in garbage out you know if you have crappy code you're going to write crappy tests for it so it's it's always a good idea to refactor it to make it testable first and by breaking out as many functions as you can and then once you break that in into functions you'll find that uh building unit test and pester will be much easier you mean building the code the way best practices would indicate you should in other words functionally Correct. Yes. It, testing forces you to write good code. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, uh, Adam, do you agree with the concepts behind what it brings to my mind is the concepts behind test driven development or TDD? It's where, uh, for those listening, it's where you kind of write the test first and they obviously will fail because there's no code. And then you write the code afterwards in such a way that 
you don't consider it done until the code passes. Is that kind of the, the, the vein that you're talking about there, Adam, or so, something similar? I tried the TDD approach, um, but what I found is it, it was, it, I've, I tend to do a kind of a hybrid approach. So where I would, whenever I write, I start on a new script, I first kind of open up my, my PowerShell script and document out with some comments of what I wanted to do, just very high level stuff of what I wanted to do. And then what I will typically do is I will create an, a, a test file for that. And then I will kind of represent out, represent the structure of how I kind of want the script to run in the test file. There's no, there's no tests whatsoever in here. It's just kind of the diagram or the representation of what I want the script to use. It's like the blueprint. Represented in, yeah, represented right. in the DS in, in a pester test. And then once I do that, then I will just go and write the, write the test and try to kind of mimic. It's kind of a hybrid approach because I found that I can't do pure TDD because there's just so many unknowns, especially in the ops world. Of, if you're in traditional software development, you're just pretty much just working with code all the time. But we have so many different dependencies out there in the ops world where you have to hit this, uh, this sand or this server or this environment. There's so many different dependencies we have. It's so difficult. So I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not a TDD purist by any means. So I tattoo a teardrop for every different storage array I've had to automate yep. against. So I have <laughs> a crying face at this point. But that's fair to say. And it brings up another thought uh, for me around underlying frameworks. Because the original example that I put forth was, hey, I've got all these pieces of code, you know, these scripts and whatnot. They're on my laptop or a shared drive or Dropbox or something. What I've found, and I'd love to hear your experience on, was that was not great. Uh, even for just myself, having... You know, there's no version control. It's hard to kind of unit test against it. So what frameworks do you use? Are, are you a fan of Git? You know, kind of what, what is the what are the underlying technologies that you use to support your unit testing so that it's all properly tested and versioned and that kind of jazz? Yep. So I have two approaches. I have one on my personal project. I use Git and GitHub. And then at my, my current job, which and we have, we use TFS to, to do that. So we have version control. And regardless, if you're doing, even if you're doing it on your own, you have to have, I mean, version control, uh, source control is, I mean, it's a necessity because we've all had those times whenever, you know, we've worked so long on a script and we, we save it and, you know, we hit control Z, control Z, control Z, undo, 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 undo. And the, the history wasn't there. We couldn't go all the way back to go how we needed it in the first place. So we couldn't actually get the latest version or the, the, a past version. I can't. I can't tell you how many times I've had to actually revert versions, even a week ago, because I've been working on this stuff. That I, oh yeah, I needed to see this code, what it was like a week ago. Version control is the prerequisite, and once you have some kind of version control, like Git, TFS, I mean anything uh, like that, then you kind of set the primer for testing. Uh, then you start to get into well, when the when the code is checked in, that can be a trigger to then trigger a test, trigger the unit test, integration test, acceptance test. And then that way you can automatically be always testing. Um, I've even some seen some instances where somebody just hits save on a file, all your unit tests pass because it's just code. They're extremely fast. So you can just hit that trigger. Your, your code commit would be that trigger in your source control, which then can automatically kick it off so you don't have to be manually running your tests all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, traditionally when I started, it was a matter of you save a version number or name or something in the file name, which was horrible. And then you've got, you know, artifacts and files everywhere. And 
this is really just saying, you know, you're, you're basically saying when, when someone wants to make a change or they've made some changes and they want to share it out, the great thing with version control is that can be, that can be a trigger. It can be an action point where it says, oh, okay, the version control recognizes that new changes have been made to the script or someone wants to make changes to the script. And that can then say, hold your horses there, bucko. We're not going to do that until all these tests that you've written have passed or if they fail, let someone know before we move forward. So Adam, you mentioned automating that. We're talking about triggers that would kick off a test before we actually integrate that code. Is that the normal way to do things where you would automate it? Maybe it's part of your continuous integration pipeline. And if so, are there specific tools maybe other than, you know, we mentioned uh, Git and monitoring the repository and so on. What, what else could we do to help with that automation of those tests? Yeah, I mean, you get, you can get into, you know, test automation. We we've been talking about, you know, just tests in general. Those those have a trigger. It could either be you running a command invoke pester or uh you kicking it off some other way. When you get into the test automation space, that's when you don't have to manually run these things. You keep your test up to date, and as soon as you check something into source control, it triggers and then that code commit triggers an automatic unit test for it. And then you start getting into the build automation and CI, um, CICD, continuous integration, continuous delivery, and the whole build and release pipeline to where, to some extent, once you get enough rolling with this and build up enough uh, traction, you can then get to the point to where your developer can write the code or you write the game. You don't even have to be a developer. You just have a script, write your script, check it into source control. If you have an associated test suite with that, then your a GitHub or Visual Studio Team Services, Octopus Deploy, Jenkins, any of these can then find that code, grab that code, run your test automatically, run to make sure they all work. Then it could even, you can take it to the point where you can run your build, then do your deployment to an environment. And then you would also have your integration acceptance test there, which when after you run the build, then the acceptance test and all the other integration tests will run against your environment. So all it takes is just from the trigger of a single person checking in a piece of code in a script, it can go all the way through the pipeline, fully tested and to a test environment, or you could even go straight to production if you want. In other words, lots of options. And it's fine. as I was Googling around on unit testing, it's not like this is a new concept in the development world by any means. So it's not surprising that there's a whole host of tools and methods that you could use to, to make this happen in an automated way. Correct. Yeah. Unit testing is just the, the tip of the iceberg. And yeah. what I've, in my experience, what I've seen us, us ops people, the unit testing itself is there. There's uh, people that are doing it, but the large majority of the people that I've seen, at least in ops, they're really focusing on integration and acceptance. I mean, if you're, if you're do anything whatsoever, at least do your, your integration testing to where, you know, at least see that a registry key was actually done. You don't have to go to the, the extent you know, of doing going through the whole suite, but um, you know, at least maybe you want to if it's if it's extremely important. You know, if you're you're uh, you're Google or, or or I don't know eBay or Microsoft or something, and you're going to affect millions of machines at once, you probably want to do the whole test suite. But, uh, but yeah, at the bare minimum, at least do your your integration testing. That's what I say. Well, let's move on to kind of the uh, question on kind of the softer skill side of things around. You know, maybe you're bought into this whole testing thing, you know, like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to do it. How do I encourage the rest of my team, you know, my coworkers to start doing it? Because I'm imagining if you're on a team and you're the only one testing, like that's a little lopsided. You kind of need everyone to buy into this and kind of contribute, right? 
Exactly. I mean, yes, I ran I ran into this a couple of years ago whenever I was trying to do this exact same thing. I was I was all bought into it and I could definitely see the advantage of it, but like I said before, it's really hard to to sell something that that somebody doesn't get the immediate value from. You kind of have to get that aha moment. There's been you kind of have to get them over the hump and and show them like, "Okay, well, and really evangelize and demonstrate I wrote this this uh, I wrote this script for example let's say let you know you wrote this script and let's just say you know just just kind of use this a scare tactic I guess say okay let's just say that I made this change here okay is that uh, that's pretty obvious right I mean I could say like well you could easily make this make this simple mistake everybody makes you know you can maybe fat finger a, a key a character or accidentally like I did put in a star instead of a uh, an L or some other kind of character yeah, that's that's doable, right? Okay, okay. They would say, yeah, that's legit. I could see how you could do that. I could see how I could do that too. And then you run it, and then the, they could obviously see what that would do. And then you could then write a test, uh, unit tests to test that scenario. Think, okay, now here's here's the test. Here's this test is ran every time I check something in, and the test is not going to actually let me run the script itself and change anything in the environment until this test pass and you can see that it's kind of like a gate to where they would you say i'm just putting up a gate that does not allow me to make any um uh, unexpected changes that i don't want it's uh, I, i'm not going to sugarcoat it. it is it is hard to to really get people <laughs> to, to see that and that's one thing that i did i did focus a little bit of the little bit about that in the book it's just making them realize kind of that scare task, what would have happened and just seeing the long-term viability of um, like, for example, now I have thousands of tests and every time we, you know, we run something, we run thousands of tests and you can show your team, look at all these tests I've done, look at all these errors. And then it really gives you for people that really are task oriented that those, each of those tests can actually then correlate to maybe a trouble ticket or a ticket of an individual task or a work item you can put in the queue and then you can assign those things out instead of saying, well, it's broke. You know, that's another thing that tests do. Tests really define what is broke rather than, well, I mean, I ran this command. It did this thing it wasn't supposed to. Rather than having somebody try to explain it, you can say, well, just look at the test. That's exactly what broke. You know, I was thinking that just like with, uh, you know, like building a house, having a solid set of blueprints is a great way to write crisp code. And I like when Adam was talking about the way that he approaches writing code with kind of a, a commented version, kind of a logical path for the code, for not, not just the code, but the script and the tests themselves. And that's a forcing action. It's making him think about what is the architecture going to look like? What are the various code paths that are going to exist? And then fills in the blanks and adds all the meat and potatoes to the code. It just seems like a good way to approach the balance between test-driven development and I'm just going to start hacking away at the keyboard and you know hope that hope this stuff works out in the end. What were you thinking about, Ethan? Well, it really struck me that that a lot of the people listening to this show are going to be new to coding and to writing scripts and, and and they're they're really if they're starting to automate infrastructure now and they're using code they're they're stepping into this world that's actually quite mature the art and science of developing software is well known it's gone through lots of evolution over the decades and and so that means it's like any other technical discipline you're going to start dabbling with the most accessible bits, which if it's coding, it's like, I'm going to write code by ripping off other people's work, copying that, and then adapting it. That's that's how you start. It's what you do. Figure out how it works. 
But but then as you grow in your knowledge and your ability, you're going to add features and capability to your your scripting and how you do your development. You're going to do it better. You're going to do it quote unquote right. And I think testing of code and then automating that testing is a massive leap forward for fledgling developers. Well, Adam, I think we got a pretty good grasp on unit testing and some ways that it offers some value. And obviously, the the cultural challenges exist for any technology. Uh, Let's talk about your book. You wrote something called The Pester Book. It's available on LeanPub. Kind of give us an introduction to that and also kind of what was your... What was your motivation to write this book? The history behind it is we started out, Don Jones actually had started out creating just a, a very simple ebook on LeanPub. And whenever he started that, he asked me, hey, what, what, you want to uh, help me with this? Because, you know, you, you know a lot about Pester. So I said, okay. And then what I started with, I, I started writing it. I'm like, this can actually turn into a book, you know, a real, you know, a real ebook. You know, I'm looking at the book right now and it's uh, what, 200, over 200 and something pages. And at the time I didn't think, well, it's just pester. It's, it's just PowerShell. You know, there's not that much stuff to talk about, but when I really started to think about it, I started to, to get more into it and more into it and putting more content into it. And then at that time, Don, he said, well, uh, you know, you're, you've pretty much taken it over. You've done the majority of the content, you know, here you go, go ahead and, and run with it. So you that's why yeah, there could be only yeah. one, right? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I mean, Don's a good trainer, but he didn't know Pester as in depth as what I did. And then I was able to kind of take it over and just like you said, just Highlander <laughs> and, and just kind of take it over. And at that time it was just me. And then I just started putting more and more content into it and, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it was the the book was all about first, just like you said, the soft skills, trying to get people to understand what testing is and not just the the technical aspects of, you know, what's a describe block, what's a nit block, and syntax mm-hmm. and everything like that in Pester. It's all about getting people's head around what testing is and what it can do. That's why in the uh the forward there, I kind of put my aha moment when I finally uh, that light bulb went off in my head like, wow, this you finally had that. I had that moment to where you're like, okay, this is this is actually something. You know, I, this is going to be very important. Um, so that's why I focus that on the front, and then the whole the gist of it. Um, then I kind of went back on what's testing and soft skills. I got eventually we get into pester and cover. Gosh, everything under the sun scenarios and and different things like that. Now that sounded like I mean you, you covered a lot of ground there. So who's the person that would benefit the most from reading the book? I mean it, it sounds like maybe I should be a PowerShell scripter and have some competency there before I get into Pester, or maybe not. Yeah, I would I would say the the Pester book. I think as a minimum you need to be somewhat of a PowerShell scripter. You you need to have uh you need to have experience with PowerShell, writing scripts, do different things. I mean, you don't have to be an expert by any means because Pester is PowerShell itself. So you need to le- you need to know enough about the PowerShell language to be able to um, to understand it. But yeah, I would say if if you have written, I don't know, a, a few dozen, even just a few dozen PowerShell scripts and you've been using them just for personal use or maybe in your organization or on your team want to to uh, to automate some new things, uh, you definitely need to have that PowerShell primer head. I, I definitely wouldn't want to recommend it to somebody that has no experience with PowerShell whatsoever because I started and I had no idea. A lot of us start, we have no idea about testing. We, it's hard enough learning a new language, but, but having to learn how to test that language and to understand all that methodology behind it would definitely be, be a stretch. 
And again, Pester is PowerShell. Those two are intermingled. I can't use Pester for some language like Python. Correct. Yes, you could. You can use Pester because you, it, it's a unit testing framework technically, but a lot of people use it for integration and acceptance. So what I've seen some people do is they create Python or Ruby script, whatever, to do uh, whatever they want, change in the environment. And then as part of their testing, they have Pester to then go and test the, the actual change that they made. So you can't, ha- you can't build unit tests in Pester with other language, but you can test the results of what those other languages do. Okay. All right. So if I've gotten through the book now, I've, I've, I've read it, I've got some PowerShell competency, and now I've read through the Pester book, what skills have I added that I'm going to be able to use in my day job or some community project that I'm tied up in? I would think that the skills that you're going to come away with if you read the Pester book are, number one, the soft skills. You're going to get, you're going to get a more holistic view of testing. In the book, it's not – I didn't – I wrote it um, to explain Pester and explain the product and what it does and how you write tests. But because of the audience, because um, – a lot of the uh, the people that uh, that read it are ops people, and ops people. I'm I'm an ops person too. And whenever I first started getting out, I didn't understand really what's the purpose of testing. Why do I need this? This is I don't need this at all. But I try to inject in the book not only how to do things, but why to do things, and to be able to um, to write. Okay, this is what would happen if this this if uh, you know if you didn't have tests. You know, I have design practices in there of you know the higher level stuff of not just how you create a unit test or an acceptance test or anything like that, and what the differences between those are, but also why you would want to uh, build a test suite for this sort of thing. So it really goes into that sort of thing. So I think if you w- read it, when you come away from it, you're going to come away with a, a different. Uh, a different way of thinking around tests. And my, my goal of the book was to convince you that, yes, you need to do tests, especially for, for important tasks, and then also give you the skill of using Pester if you're using PowerShell or if you're using Python, Ruby, any of these other scripting languages. You have some sort of tool that you can use that you can then test all those different changes that you can, that you need to in your environment. So Adam, let's let's actually nerd out a little bit around Pester. Kind of tease folks as to what what's in the book uh, and, and some of your thoughts around it. The first question I had for you was around, well, I mean, what do you think makes a solid design when it comes to building Pester tests? You've alluded to kind of making it module around these are my unit tests, these are my integration tests, and that kind of jazz. But any other nuggets around you know what you look for with designing your tests or what what you think works well? Once you have all of your your tests, so let's just say that. You know, you're going to go you're going to go all in and you are going to write a complete test suite for, you know, some kind of of product that you have. Normally, it's not just a single script. It's, you know, it's a culmination of lots of different modules working together and that sort of thing. So let's say that you're going you're going all out and you're going to create your your unit test, your uh, integration test and your acceptance test. So that's the first thing you have to kind of keep those separate at all times. Then once you do that, then you'll be able to see that they all kind of each of those, you'll be able to understand your, your script. So whenever you first start to go out first, start to create tests, which you'll, you'll soon realize like, wow, I did not understand what this script did in the first place. You know, it could be extremely <laughs> simple, but once you start to, to, to write tests for it, you, you're forced to look at the script and read every single code path. So if you have an, if, 
if else, that's two code paths. If you have a switch statement with, you know, 10 different conditions in there, that's 10 different code paths. And maybe inside of those, you have if thens in those, and then another if then in that. You have all these different code paths that you never realized. Oh, yeah, if I pass in this parameter, then, oh, it's going to follow this code path all the way down to here. And there's been multiple times where I've been writing tests and I don't even have to write the, I don't even have to run the test to see that I have a problem because you're forced to go back and look at your code in a, a really detailed way and to understand it um, fully. So once you kind of do that, you're going to, if you structure your test in a way of modularize um, by, in the Pester world, you have a describe block, which is, you know, typically, if, you, if you're talking about unit tests, that's typically a PowerShell function. So you have a, a describe block, and then there you have context blocks in there. So these, the context blocks would be the scenarios in which the uh, the function or whatever you were, you're testing is ran. Say, well, the scenario when when the server is offline is a context. When mm-hmm. um, when the registry key is not there, when the registry key is there, a lot contexts start with when a lot when this when this and this uh situation when this scenario happens or when the environment is like this based on that then you run your test after that and then once you have your context block you kind of break in those all those win contexts out then inside of there then you kind of go in and then create your individual your actual tests your it block to say well when the server is offline then inside of that that context you may have I don't know. It won't work. Yeah, the script throws an error or, you know, catches an error or the script returns false. If you have maybe a test connection in there or something, you had those breaking all that stuff down by the describe block and then the scenarios and the test blocks and then the the individual um, tests inside of those context blocks. That's cool because I... I think the offline server is a, is a great example because I would imagine a lot of folks write code or a script. You know, a certain assumptions are made. Like, okay, we assume that it's there. You're probably not handling that necessarily within your script. And you can say, yeah, when the error is, you know, server unreachable or something, do something different versus, you know, bad permissions or or whatnot. So that makes sense. And I'll share with you, uh, you and the audience. I definitely had a few scenarios where, when I started working with Pester, I had code that worked. And it ran, it ran just fine. And then I, I made a pester test for it. And I realized that it, it was only like accidentally working. It was never actually calling the logic that I thought it should be. So the code path that I thought it was going down was absolutely not the real code path. And I was like, wow, how is this even working? It was kind of a, it was kind of like discovering buried treasure because I, I couldn't yeah, and, believe and that stuff it was like working. that can be dangerous. I mean, yeah. you could have had something that you would never even realize that it, you, you expected to follow a certain path and you make a change that on the path that you think is not running and you, and you know, it could be catastrophic if it's, if it's the right scenario. Kind of a, a final thought here. Have you ever run into situations where you're creating a unit test and it's caused you to, to really kind of start from scratch? It's it just, we've, we've alluded to it earlier that probably your scripts are not, you know, the, the base model scripts that you have today, if you're not unit testing will not be very unit testing friendly. But have you ever gone through and said, well, I've got modules and I've got functions and everything's kind of laid out together. But man, I've put together so many possibilities, like your example with 10 switches and each one has three if statements or whatever, that there's just no way to test that. I'm going to have to start over and make my code smaller and more testable. Yep. You can approach that in two different ways. You can go through the effort of refactoring all that stuff, which is the, the, the best way to go. But if you just want to get some value right now, like I said, you could you could just 
after the script runs, test the result of the, just test the end result. So if you have, you know, talking about a function, let's say the, uh, uh, you have a function that, I don't know, creates a new VM or something. And inside of that function, you have all this if then logic and all these default parameters and all these, this different default configuration. If you can write a, a, a unit test to just simply test what that function outputs. So you could test, did it return the right object type? Did it return the right string? Did it return, just test all the scenarios. So you would, you would pass in different context blocks, probably of different parameter sets that you would pass into it. What happens when I push, put the name in this way, what happens when I pass uh, the virtual disk size in this way, what happens when I do this? You can just test the output instead of testing every little code path in there to get started that's probably the, your best bet if you could just test the out the final result and then if it doesn't if it's not what you expected then you can go to go deeper and figure out why that happened you would have to do some manual code spelunking i guess if you, if you will <laughs> because you, you don't actually have the, the test inside but you can then start building more uh, granular tests from that the tests are coming from inside the house yeah i like that <laughs> Well, all right, Adam, I think we've got a pretty good overview and, and some in-depth on testing, especially with my favorite language in the world, PowerShell. Uh, so for those that want to interact with you further, you know, do you have blog, social media? How can they find the book? That sort of jazz. I have a blog. I am adamtheautomator.com. And um, I'm on Twitter, probably too much, at uh, adbertram. Yeah, pretty much those are the two places to get me. And as far as the uh, the Pesterbook is concerned, it's on LeanPub. So it's leanpub.com slash Pesterbook. Well, right on. And I must say, I've, I've purchased the book. It's not uh, not like a sponsored endorsement or anything here, but uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty groovy. And I like the fact that as Adam uh, writes out more, I get I get that content. So, you know, lean is good. And that's it for today's edition of the Data Knots podcast. If you're a social creature, you can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter, and my blog is wallnetwork.com, or my delightful friend Ethan, he's at ECBanks on Twitter, and blogging at packetpushers.net. For more of our data dot shows about infrastructure engineering, do a nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packetpushers.net. You'll find the data knots talking about containers, conferences, certifications, scripting, going to the cloud, full stack engineering. It's all there. Go enjoy. But until then, may your server lights blink, your unit tests be fruitful, and your cables be cleanly managed. Oh, 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 oh,